inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thank you for listening to my podcast. It's all about horses, horse behavior, and horse training. By the way, it really helps me out when you leave me a great review online, and it helps other horse lovers find us, too. So thank you to everyone who's left me a five-star review. I really enjoy hearing from you, and it really helps me out a lot, so thank you. Be sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can find me on Google Play or anywhere where you get your podcasts. Since the last time we recorded, I attended the Michigan Horse Expo. It was a great three-day event in East Lansing, Michigan. I would say the weather was a little bit of a downer, but it made it a good weekend to be inside and lots of great shopping and clinics. I had a fabulous little reigning horse to ride. Um, I rode the same horse all weekend long. He was a sweet little horse trained by a very nice young lady who was really generous to let me ride that horse, especially since she was showing it that weekend. Um, and by the way, they did really well in the freestyle. I think she was a reserve champion. So that was fun to be a part of. Uh, I came back from Michigan with a little bit of a cold. So excuse me if I sound a little rough on this recording. But I spent a week in Denver filming for the new TV series, Horse Life with Julie Goodnight. Uh, we're working on our pilot episode, which is about Colorado. So we had a great day filming down at the National Western Stock Show Complex where they're uh, working on some tremendous expansion plans to, to renovate and rebuild that entire facility. And instead of just being uh, three weeks of the stock show in January, they're going to have agricultural education and innovation programs that last 365 days of the year. So it was really exciting to see what's happening down there. And then we spent the great uh, bomb cyclone blizzard of March in Colorado, <laughs> up in Franktown, Colorado, at a facility known as the Harmony Equine Center. And it is owned by the Denver Dumb Friends League. It is a very uh, renowned uh, it's actually a law enforcement impound center for horses, but they also take owner surrender horses there. Um, they do some incredible work to um, get these horses back to health and get them retrained. And they're placing uh, not just hundreds, but literally thousands of horses since since their inception. So we, we were actually there touring the facility when the blizzard hit. Uh, we beat feet back to Denver just in time for the road closures. And uh, so we were happy to be back on the front range and um, got some great, great footage for the new TV series. Next month starts clinic and expo season for me. So I'll be traveling to expos in Ohio, Minnesota, California, be doing clinics in the same regions all throughout the spring. So if you're interested in my expo and clinic schedule, I'd love to see you down the road somewhere. So be sure to go to my website, juliegoodnight.com, click on events, and you'll get the most up-to-date schedule of where I will be. Today's topic for my podcast is Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight, the final chapter, part two. Part one wasn't quite enough to cover all the stories I had. I'm not sure this will be either, uh, but we're going to call it quits after this. So last month I shared with you some of my mo most memorable stories from over 10 years of creating the long-lasting TV series Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. We produced this television show from 2008 to 2018. We made 260 episodes of the half-hour horse training show. We shot in 10 different states at 36 different locations and featured 250 different horses in the entire series. And by the way, all of that content is streaming on demand at tv.juliegoodnight.com. It's all searchable by content. So it's great horse training help right at your fingertips whenever you need it. Again, that's at tv.juliegoodnight.com. Before we get started on the main topic, 
I'd like to remind everyone to sign up for my newsletter. It comes to your inbox twice a month with in-depth training advice from me, information about my clinics and expos, and deals you won't want to miss. Go to juliegoodnight.com and hit contact to sign up. While you're there, check out my academy with online membership programs and unlimited access to hundreds of horse training videos, as well as my interactive membership, which includes lessons for every riding level and personalized coaching from me, Julie Goodnight. Right now, I'd like to share with you some of my most memorable moments working with live animals on camera and producing the TV series, Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. To produce this television series, we went on location to various places around the country and we would go for about a week at a time. And actually we could shoot, we came to where eventually we could shoot eight episodes in four days. Um, that was a lot, but we had done by then so many different episodes that we kind of got a routine down. And we would announce, you know, we would plan these shoots six months to a year in advance, and we would announce that we were coming to the area through uh, social media, through riding clubs, through word of mouth, any way we could get the word out. And we asked for people to apply to be on the show with their horse. And we would sort through applications about a month before the shoot. And we would pick about 10 individuals and their horses. Uh, we'd have uh, eight episodes and then two, two um, alternates in case uh, something happened, which invariably it did. A horse got sick or uh, the owner couldn't come, something. So we'd pull our ulti uh, alternates in at the last moment. But we would uh, sort through all these applications to choose topics, and that was a real challenge for a number of reasons. One is just because we wanted to have a broad variety of topics. So we wanted, you know, both English and Western. We wanted, um, we were always looking for new ideas, and the reality is that most people have the same problems over and over and over again with horses, so you tend to make uh, make episodes about the same topics, just a different horse. You know, for instance, uh, we did a lot of episodes about uh, the canter, getting the wrong lead or picking up the canter or slowing down the canter or whatever, the bucking at the canter, whatever the problem was. Um, so we were always on the lookout for new topics. We were always on the lookout for unusual breeds or uh, good stories. Uh, we would pretty much take any man that applied to be on the show because we got so few of them. Pretty much everyone that applied appeared on the show. Uh, we would always take mules if they applied, and there was only two. So we had two mules on the show in the whole history. Um, so we would sort through the topics until we found um, a, a nice blend of subjects. But then on top of that challenge was about half the time when people would actually show up and we would start working, filming them and working with their horse, uh, the topic we made the show on was nothing like what they applied for. Because um, in some instances they applied for, um, in their application they stated they were having some kind of problem, like the horse wouldn't cross water. But then when we would go to film that episode, the horse would walk right in the water. So we couldn't do an episode on that. So we would, have to go to a secondary problem. But the other reason why the topics constantly changed from, from what we originally planned was because oftentimes people complain of a problem with their horse. Um, <clears throat> let's say my problem is I can't get the horse into the horse trailer. Well, your problem may be much bigger than that. It may be much more fundamental than that. It may be that you can't get your horse to lead anywhere. It may be that your horse... Um, is a total monster on the ground and has no manners and no level of obedience. So, of course, he's not going to get in a trailer. So, oftentimes, the subject would change just simply because we had to address a more fundamental issue um, than what the owner was actually complaining of. So, that's how it went. That's how we chose episodes. And then once uh, everyone came on site, we had a 
We had a shoot schedule, very tight uh, schedule, filming sun up to sun sundown. We we almost exclusively filmed outdoors in whatever weather um, came our way. Over the 11 years of filming, I can only remember two or three times filming inside because we absolutely had to because of of heavy rains um, or some or in the case of my place here in Colorado, what drives us inside is heavy wind. But most of the time we were filming outside in the elements, sun up to sundown. And uh, so we had a tight schedule, but the very first thing on each episode we would film is what we call the before activity or the pre-activity. And at this point, there has been very, very minimal interaction between me and the cast member and their horse. Um, I we, we don't like to have a conversation in advance. We want everything to be authentic as it appears on camera. So you can't have a in-depth conversation with someone off camera and then have it again on camera and make it appear authentic. That just doesn't work. So we, I stayed sort of, you know, not in a rude way, but we sort of kept a barrier between myself and the, and the cast members. And then I definitely didn't want to work with their horse or anything or have any preconceived notions ahead of time. So, we would ask the cast member to get their horse out and do whatever they were going to do with it as they normally would, groom it, do groundwork, saddle it, whatever they were going to do. They just did it on their own and we filmed it. And I was always watching that because it was at that point that I actually made up my mind on what the show was going to be about and could and what was the actual problem and what was the actual solution. And so I would watch the person during the pre-activity. Um, from there, we would decide what the, what the episode was going to be about. And then pretty much after that, everything that you see in the videos, in the episodes, is actually what happened. Um, I would then generally work with the horse, maybe ride the horse, maybe do groundwork with the horse, um, sometimes both. Um, until I could figure out what the solution was for the horse. That was the easier part. <laughs> the harder part was then getting the owner to make, or the rider to make the changes needed uh, to help the horse. So that, of course, was always the more challenging aspect. Horses are very fast and easy to train. They're such fast learning animals that that part of it generally goes pretty quickly. Getting a person to change the way they've been riding or change the way they've been interacting with that horse, uh, particularly when there's a bad dynamic existing between the owner and the horse. In other words, there's resentment between the two uh, or there's um, fearfulness, anger, any of those sort of things um, are emotions that both animals can bring to the table. And... When you do, that's a lot to sort out. We and you know the horse. The horse is the easier part. He always comes along with you. It's it's getting the human to recognize first of all what they are doing that that is causing the negative response, and then to be able to actually change that. And sometimes it's a skill level thing, so you can't just you know randomly all of a sudden ride at a higher skill level. So. Um, so those are the challenges. So we would uh, find the solution for the horse, try to teach the owner to implement that solution. And then we gave them about 24, 12 to 24 hours to practice. So um, after we, we filmed about two thirds of the episode right in one uh, two hour setting. And then uh, we let the horse take a break. We let the person take a break. And then we have them practice for a few times before we uh, film the resolution of the show on the next day. So that's a little bit about how we made the episodes. And I just had a few more really memorable episodes that I wanted to share with you. Uh, and these again, are not going to be in um, in the the most popular, the least popular order. Rather, they're going to be in chronological order. 
And I just have four episodes I wanted to tell you about. And the first one's clear back to season two. So we would have filmed this in 2009. And it was season two, episode one. And one of the very first things that is most memorable about this particular episode is that it was filmed in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Um, So it's an island uh, off the northeast shore of the United States. It's a beautiful island, pretty pretty big-sized island. Uh, There's horse properties, uh, quite a few horses on the island, and, and the interior part of the island has a lot of horse properties. But in this case, we were actually filming on the beach, and what was particularly interesting was it was at the end of June, so we were coming up on the most prime beach season in Martha's Vineyard. It was right before the July 4th holiday, and we were filming at the beach um, where Jaws was filmed. So that was kind of a cool thing. And of course, we went to the beach, you know, just at the crack of dawn. It was dark when we got there. And we waited for first light so we could actually be on the horse and filming when the sun came up so that we didn't have tourists to deal with. And the really fun thing for me was this episode was about a warm-blooded horse who was a three-day eventer. So he, uh, three-day event horses do stadium jumping and dressage and cross-country jumping. And in the cross-country jumping, the horse has to be really brave and bold. He never gets to see the course before he rides it. He has to jump off, you know, ledges and and into water and out of water. And so there's a lot of crazy jumps that the horse has to be brave enough to tackle. And this particular horse had a fear of uh, going into water jumps. And so our thinking was actually mainly that we wanted to go to the beach and wouldn't it be cool to film a horse on the beach. So we decided if we could train this horse to go into the ocean, he would be brave enough to tackle any water jump on a cross-country course. And so conveniently for me, the owner had recently broken her collarbone and so she was unable to ride. And so I actually did all of the riding on this horse, which was a blast. So I get on this horse. I've never seen him before. Uh, She unloads him at the beach, saddles him up. I hop on, riding English, of course. And we head to the beach. And the camera crews were already out on the water, and we proceeded to work on getting this horse in the water. I'm not sure how long it took. I know it was at least an hour of uh, desensitizing this horse. I mean, I he he first picked his head up and balked when I was probably 50 yards away from the water. So it was a long, drawn-out process to get him down into the water. Uh, we were on the edge of the shoreline going back and forth and back and forth, going in and out with the waves for quite a while. I was talking, narrating the whole time about what I was doing and, and why I thought it would work. Um, I zigzagged my way finally into the water. I remember at one point being belly deep in the surf and having a wave crash over my back. And um, we had a fabulous time. And that, um, even though that episode was filmed uh, 11 or 12 years ago, it's probably the episode I get the single most comments on just because it's so memorable and so beautiful to watch being a at the ocean. So um, like everyone, it's kind of always been a dream of mine to ride on the beach. So to be able to actually ride this horse into the water um, and capture it all on camera was really, really a dream come true of mine. The next episode I want to tell you about comes from season three and it's episode one and it was called Can't Make Me. And I remember this one, uh, actually, it was not unlike the one I just told you about on the beach, except for the setting of this was here at my own ranch in Colorado, in my own outdoor arena. And this episode was about a horse that refused to cross a tarp. Now, that might not sound like a very interesting subject, one we hear about all the time. Of course, horses don't want to walk on tarps laying on the ground. It's ridiculous. Why would you walk on it when you could walk around it? 
and it could be hazardous under there. So uh, in a way, I think of getting a horse to cross something like a tarp is a way to, to uh, train the sense out of him because if he had sense, he wouldn't walk on it. So what we're actually training him to do is go beyond his good common horse sense and, and do something that, that could be highly risky. The unusual thing about this particular episode, it was a, a black quarter horse mare. Uh, she was just black as night, and she was extremely strong-willed, um, kind of a dominant type of mare. But what really stood out for me was the owner shared with me that she had just recently returned from a five-day-long trail obstacle clinic with a very well-known clinician, um, a clinician who, who happens to be a good friend of mine, whose skill and teaching ability I have the utmost respect for. And after five days of clinicking with this guy, she never got the horse to cross a tarp. So essentially what that meant was they had spent five days training the horse not to cross a tarp. So it's one thing to start with a horse that has no history of doing anything bad, just no history of doing the right thing, which in this case was crossing the tarp. But when you're starting with a horse that's been actively trained not to do something, which is what happens when you ask and fail to get the response you want, you ask again and fail and ask again and fail, at that point you're training the horse not to do it. You're training the horse that he is successful in his refusal. So I was very leery about what I was going to do with this horse, knowing that um, this issue had already um, been uh, tackled and failed so many times. So, as is usually the case when I don't know what to do, I have to get on the horse and just start riding it. And the answer comes to me. The horse, I don't know why or how that happens, but whenever I'm perplexed, I have to get on the horse or handle the horse myself. And as I just start handling it, I just kind of leave my mind open and and something will will occur to me. And in this case, it wasn't anything brilliant other than I, I guess I just basically outstubborned a stubborn horse because I do remember it was relatively late in the day. It was the last episode we were starting for that day. And we generally planned about two hours to start an episode. And if it was getting dark at, I don't know, seven, let's say, um, we had started this maybe at four. And um, so when we started it, we thought we had two good hours of sunlight. Uh, I do remember that when we quit filming, it was almost dark. So we went at this for two or three hours. And we had a really loud, colorful tarp on the ground. It was actually a parachute kind of thing. And um, I just decided I was going to do the classic natural horsemanship thing, which is to make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. And I would ride her, ride her, ride her, ride her all around the tarp. And then when she got really tired and, and out of oxygen, I would walk her up to the tarp and let her rest. As long as she showed forward interest in the tarp, I would let her sit there and rest. As soon as she would start to back away or show, uh, turn her interest away from the tarp, we would go back to work and we would be trotting circles right, circles left, circles right, circles left, maybe throwing some canter circles. We were just work, 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 and then uh, again, come back to the tarp to rest. Um, I would ask her to go an inch or two closer, and if she would go closer, I would let her rest. And then I'd ask her for a couple of more inches, and if she would go closer, I would let her rest. As soon as she would resist me, we would go back to work. And <laughs> there came a time when I wasn't sure I was going to outlast her. Um, there were several times where she started to walk right over the tarp and then reneged, and we had to go back to work. 
And then finally, right before it got dark, she just put her head down and walked across the tarp as calm and quiet as you could ever ask a horse to do it. I stopped and petted her. I went and asked her one more time. She walked across the tarp with her head down on a loose rein, just flat-footed and calm as you could ever ask. And I petted her and got off. And the next day, we got her out. Obviously, it was too late that day to to do any follow-up. So after a good long rest, she thought about it overnight. We set up the exact same scenario, this time with the owner on the horse. She walked right over several times. We moved the tarp to several different locations. She walked straight over, and so we pronounced the horse cured. I don't know how long that cure stuck with that horse, but uh, it was definitely a war of the wills that I won't soon forget. The next memorable episode of Horse Master with Julie Goodnight that I want to tell you about comes from Season 9. It's Episode 17, and it's called Betty Lou New. And Betty Lou was a mule. As I said earlier, we only ever had two mules applied to be on the show, and she was one of them, and both mules made it on the show. And Betty Lou was a beautiful mule. She's a dun-colored, pretty fair-sized mule. And she actually came to be on the show because she had uh, bad ground manners. And she, according to her owner, was just really obnoxious to lead around. She would kind of bump into you, drag you around, and um, just, you know, generally be obnoxious. And uh, so that was our intention, was to do an episode on teaching ground manners to a mule. And so when we went to start the pre-activity or the um, before footage, we asked Betty Lou to go get the mule out of her stall and bring her into the arena and just lead her around and show us uh, what the problem was. And so with the cameras on, um, and by the way, my producer refers to the camera as the the magic training horse training camera because as soon as you turn it on, the horse seems to uh, become trained. And that's what happened with Betty Lou. So she gets gets the mule out of the stall and she proceeds to lead it into the arena where we've got all the cameras set up and the crew's all you know hanging around behind the cameras. And you could literally see that mule looking around, taking it all in. You could see her sort of making the decision that all of these cameras and people were there to watch her misbehave. And she just turned into the perfect angel. So the owner's leading her around the arena. And this mule is acting like she just won a world championship halter class. I mean, she was like perfect. And so after about five or ten minutes of that, we said, okay, let's cut. Um, We can't do an episode on ground manners when your mule has perfect ground manners. So is there another problem? She said, well, yes. Actually, she's kind of hard to saddle. And we said, okay, well, let's do that. So go tire to the fence. Let's get your saddle. And let's do some before footage of, of the saddling. Well, in that regard... Betty Lou did not disappoint. And so as we're filming this pre-activity and the woman is going about putting the saddle pad on, brushing the mule and putting the saddle pad on and putting the saddle and then undoing the cinch from the offside and coming back around and doing all that. As she was doing all that, the mule kicked at her probably about a dozen times. I mean, like kicked hard. And never did she make contact, and it, and it was really rather odd because the owner, it was as if the owner didn't notice the ho- the mule was kicking at her, and um, she would just stay out of the way of the kicks. And in fact, at one time, and you can see all this in the episode, one time she was walking around behind the mule, and that mule let out a kick, and I and I thought sure. She was going to nail her. And in fact, everybody on the crew went, <gasps> and 
the mule pulled the kick right before it made contact. So it was like the lady knew the mule was going to pull the punch and the mule knew the mule was going to pull the punch, but the rest of us didn't know. So anyway, this was clearly a routine that the two of them were quite used to. (laughs) And so it was a great, it turned out to be a great episode. It was very easy to fix this mule. All, All that was required was that she was scolded for doing it. And so we we started over again, and this time I held the lead rope um, instead of tying the mule, and I told the woman to go about saddling the horse, and any time the mule picked up a foot, I just scolded her. I just bumped the rope, and I kind of hissed and spit at her and said, stop doing that, and she did. And it was one of the easiest fixes uh, of all time. Um, But, by the way, a really good lesson that... Um, You know, sometimes our horses and mules don't act appropriately. And if you condone their their behavior, how would they know it's wrong? And this was a simple case of the mule just needed to be scolded and told told not to act that way. And then she she didn't act that way. So sometimes it's just simply a matter of stepping up and uh, scolding the horse or the mule, uh, letting him know that that behavior is not only inappropriate, but it won't be tolerated. And then they say, okay, fine, I won't do that. So that was Betty Lou knew because she knew all along. The last episode I want to share with you from the final chapter of Horse Master with Julie Goodnight came from season nine. It's episode 23 and we called it Back on Board. And this was a story about a spoiled horse And so, you know, I think most people that have been around horses for a while, certainly most people that are in the profession of training horses understand what we, what we mean by a spoiled horse. It's not really much different than a spoiled child. And a spoiled horse is one that may have one at one time been taught the appropriate way to behave. He may have been taught ground manners. Um, He may have been taught to be respectful and obedient around humans. Um, But at some point, he's had an indulgent owner that feeds him a lot of cookies and lets him act however he wants. And he turns into a little monster. He throws tantrums. He, when he doesn't get his way, he acts out. He can become aggressive, um, throw fits. Um, And these are generally horses that have been just allowed to act however they want. Um, And many times they have um, gone beyond just acting poorly and actually become aggressive and try to start controlling their owners. So this was a case of a cute little Palomino horse. Um, I think it was probably a quarter horse. And he just had that cute little Palomino look to him. And he was a belonged to a teenage girl and this horse had at one time been a perfectly well-trained horse in fact when they bought the horse it was being shown it was doing quite well she did pretty well with the horse the first year she had it but over time um, poor handling of this horse led to it becoming just a little monster and he would um, act out throw little tantrums if he didn't want to go somewhere he'd just drag you somewhere else and the biggest problem they were having by then uh, by the time they came to see me was that they couldn't get him in the horse trailer now this was a horse that had been in hauled around the country uh, gone to many many horse shows had obviously been trained to load in and out of a trailer and in fact, for the first year or two they had the horse, he loaded just fine until the day that he decided he was no longer going to um, get in the trailer. And so we set up a horse trailer, truck and trailer in the middle of an outdoor arena uh, so that we you know, had some confinement in case um, anyone had a problem. And we set the camera crews up all around the trailer and we proceeded to film the before footage. Now, I don't interfere with the pre-activity of the before footage. Uh, We just tell the person, just go about the way you normally would do this at home and um, we're just gonna watch and film. And so that we did. And they go to walk, the young lady goes to walk the horse up to the trailer 
and uh, he just stops and starts kind of stomping his feet. So she circles him back, and then she tries to walk up again, um, and then she kind of jerks the rope a couple of times, and he stomps his feet a couple of times, and then he just turns right towards her and just sort of walks right over the top of her and off the camera. Um, so she drags him eventually back towards the horse trailer, and this proceeded on where this horse would just start dragging her around and to the point where he dragged her all the way around the horse trailer. So they went, they were kept going in circles. Um, so the horse wouldn't go forward. So he would just start circling around her. So they started making little tiny circles and they circled all the way around the front of the truck, all the way around the other side. We got our cameras set up pointing towards the back of the trailer. Now they're all the way around in front of the trailer. Then they appear on the other side. Um, circling around, circling around. This went on for about 20 or 30 minutes. Never got anywhere closer to the trailer um, than when they first started out. And um, it was really one of the funniest before footages we ever filmed um, because uh, where they started out approaching the trailer was turned out to be the closest they ever got to the trailer. They The horse just kept taking them farther and farther and farther away. Um, as is with the case of most spoiled horses, when someone more competent gets on the other end of the lead line, things change really fast. So I took a hold of this horse and first of all, this little habit of just turning straight towards you and walking right over the top of you, um, I dissolved him of that notion right away. And I, and it's a simple thing, but you know, when you... If you handle horses for a living for as many decades as I have, you get really good at not letting horses invade your space. Um, I'm not a big person. Those of you that have met me face to face realize um, I'm only five foot four, I weigh about 120 pounds. Um, so a horse walking over the top of me is intolerable and I can get really big really fast and I defend my own personal space vehemently. And this is something horses recognize very quickly about me or anyone who is um, is really clear about their boundaries. And so I took a hold of this little horse and I scolded him hard for, for moving into my space. And then I proceeded to show him what my expectations of him were in terms of how he behaved when I was on the end of the lead rope. Um, this was a trained horse. He knew good and well how he was supposed to act. He had just learned he didn't have to act that way. So it came back to him really fast. Um, I enlisted the help of my friend and assistant, Lucy Achenbach, who took the head of the horse um, and proceeded to the trailer. I flagged the horse. I took uh, took a back seat with the um, using a training flag. And we just applied a little bit of pressure to the horse anytime he would resist going forward. And we showed him that there was only one option. Once we presented him to the trailer, he had to get in. And in about 20 minutes, that horse was walking straight in the trailer. So it was a, uh, we came a long way with that little blonde-headed horse um, in a short amount of time. Um, he did. Uh, he did. Uh, he did persist in challenging his owner just a little bit more. That was a, a dynamic that existed between him and his owner, and she was going to have to sort of step up to the plate. And um, in in some ways, my job was easier with that horse because he did not have preconceived notions of me, and he did not think I was someone he could get away with stuff with. Um, but the young lady that owned him, he, he'd been successful getting away with stuff for a while. So she, she had a little bit of a rough road to convince that horse that she was going to change her ways. Um, but by the time they left the ranch, that horse was just walking straight in the horse trailer um, like a little Palomino horse should. So that was a, a great ending to that story. And now... It's time for my favorite segment, What the Hey Q&A. It's really my favorite segment because I like to say that, but I also love to answer questions that are just real questions and, and um, allows me to problem solve, which is what I like to do. So we 
pick a few unique questions from our listeners each month and answer them on the air. We're also looking for listeners to come on the air with me for a live Q&A session over the phone. So if you have a more complicated question about your horse, or if you'd like to submit a written question for What the Hay, please go to my Facebook page, Julie Goodnight Horsemanship, or go to juliegoodnight.com slash podcast and contact us there. So last month, I asked you to send me your questions about Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight because we announced the ending of the longstanding TV series uh, that I produced on horse training. And I asked you to tell me what your favorite episodes were and how the show has impacted you. I wish I had time to read all the questions we got. They were fabulous. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Uh, But I'd like to share with you a few comments and then we'll have a couple of questions for the Q&A segment. Our first comment comes from Norma Kay and she said, OMG, how are we to pick when every episode teaches us something? My fave would have to be the one filmed here in Gillsville, Georgia. Seeing the interaction between you and Twyla with the students, both two and four-legged, revealed your collective hearts. Well, that was really sweet. Um, (laughs) So in Gillsville, Georgia, I remember that well. That was one of, I mentioned earlier, there was only a couple of times we ever filmed inside, and that was one of them because it literally poured rain all day and all night while we were there. Um, So thank you, Norma Kay. And our next comment comes from Donna, who wrote in to say, there is an episode with a chiropractor. When you began talking about a cinchy horse and a rib being out, a light bulb went off immediately. I rewound and listened again. Needless to say, my mare and I thank you. You know, that episode was from season nine it was episode seven and it was called the doctor will see you and that was a planned and staged episode where we invited a performance horse chiropractor to uh, come be on the show and explain how important chiropractic work can be to horses and so dr deb schlutz who is a vet here in colorado that's treated my horses um, for injuries Um, She told us all about the chiropractic process. Uh, We were, uh, while she was examining a horse that was a patient of hers, a performance horse that had endured some injuries and um, through uh, some bad behavior and bucking and whatnot, it was diagnosed the horse actually had a fairly serious chiropractic problem and after I think it was about six months the horse was was going back into work and and working really well that episode has gotten so many comments over the years because a lot of people just did not like like Donna just wrote um, they did not understand that this can be a reason why horses are performing poorly, particularly when you have a horse that was working well and now he isn't, you almost always have to look to a physical cause. Um, so I, I've i heard so many comments about that episode over the years, just like Donna's who said, I never, it never dawned on me that that was a chiropractic problem and thank you so much. Um, so I know that one impacted a lot of horses and um, and we're happy about that. Next comment comes from Pam. I have tried to watch all of your shows. My favorite shows were the changing of bits to the Myler combo bit and the remarkable change in the horse. I only used that bit on my horses along with only Julie's rope reins. <laughs> Looking forward to your new show, we'll miss Horsemaster. So people that have watched a lot a lot or all of my shows know we changed the bit a lot on horses um anytime we saw uh anytime we can do better um on bits for a horse we we take that opportunity but i would agree with pam that the myler combo bit is a little bit of a miracle bit i've often said if i could only own one bit that would that would be it the three ring combination um and 
we did numerous episodes of the show where we took a very hot blooded horse that was struggling, um, high headedness, you know, toss in the head, prancy, spooky kind of horse. Um, it's amazing how often when you put those horses in a really mild bit, how how fast they calm down. Um, the miler bit, that combo bit is one that really um, gives you a lot greater control over the horse with less anxiety. And the, the less anxiety part is, is the biggest factor on that bit. So thank you, Pam, for reminding me of how many, um, how many times we did that in the series um, and, made, and made some big changes in horses really fast. Our next comment comes from Kate Sweezy, and she says, It's difficult to pick just one. I love all of them. I enjoy the one with the horse that would buck when asked to go into the canter transition, as I have had to deal with that with my own horse. I DVR and watch it every night, exclamation. I especially love it as I am not able to ride at the moment. Thanks for your awesome tips. Um, well, cool. Yes, that um, I remember that one well, too. I think I talked about that um, not too long ago. But the that was a young man, a teenage boy riding an Arab cross. And that horse would just explode into a bucking fit every time he cued him to canter. That was a case I mentioned earlier where I sometimes don't know what is the problem or what the solution is and i could watch this young man ride and i could see that the horse was you know exploding into the canter as if he was over cued but i couldn't really fault the young man he was a really good rider and i had to get on the horse myself so I did, and I uh, was very forward. I, th- I want to say he was an Arab and a um, like a he's either Anglo Arab or a warm blood Arab cross. And uh, I got on him, and I rode him at the trot. He was very forward at the trot, and I remember just sort of putting my seat in contact with the saddle lightly, and just slowly starting to circle my hips in the canter motion and the horse stepped into a nice canter and that was a case of a horse that you really could not cue to canter if if you applied a cue to him it was too much pressure so what you had to do was just start thinking about cantering and allowing your seat to change rhythm into the canter motion so i'm glad you enjoyed that one kate i did too The next comment is from Christina Forno. She says, I've watched every episode at least once, but the one I always go back to is Master and Commander. It's a helpful reminder that we need to be the leader. Yeah, um, that's interesting because I believe that is from the very first episode. I remember that episode well. Um, It it was the case of a very well-trained reigning horse that had shown um, and very successfully as a reiner and had been bought by a non-pro rider and had proceeded to become the biggest spoiled brat you ever saw that wouldn't do anything but stand in the middle of the arena and buck every time she asked him to canter. And what's most memorable about that one to me, and I wonder if it's also to Christina, is... It was in the filming of this show that it occurred to the owner that she was the one that had caused all the problems in the horse through she basically, you know, tried to baby and pamper this horse, kill him with kindness, so to speak. And she'd spoiled him to the point where he he just he basically hated her guts and he just would do nothing for her. And um so it was very sad when she came to that understanding. But on the other hand, it's sort of the turning of a new page. And you do have to come to that understanding sometimes. And there were many times in the filming of Horse Master through the years where the owner came to a realization that all this time they'd been blaming the horse when in, when in fact it was them 
or something they had done or not done. And um, it's always hard to see people when they come to that realization because they feel so terrible about it. They feel guilty and, um, you know, they feel like they should have known. And um, But at the same time you feel badly for them, it's it's in in that discovery that personal discovery that the person is able to then turn a page and change and the most incredible thing about horses is they always change with you and unless and until you make that change they're not going to make a change and so um in in this case and as in every case during the show when someone did come to that hard realization they were also able to turn the page and move forward in a very positive direction with their horse so the next comment so the next comment comes from nancy galleon nancy is a good friend of mine actually that i've met through um through this business and she's in southern california and she says there are so many but i love the bridalist riding episode with you and Dooley. well i know why you like that episode nancy because uh, nancy actually bought a horse from us a great bridalist horse and she loves bridalist riding because uh, she's got a great horse to do it on. So I uh, hope you guys are all well out there in Southern California. Our next comment comes from Stephanie. She says, Texas Two-Step helped me learn to work with getting my horse to stand still at the mounting block. The other episode that helped me was the one about posture. I try to remember how important good posture is and how it translates from everyday life to the saddle. Yes, thank you, Stephanie. The Texas Two-Step was a hilarious one. I was just thinking about it this morning because it was a wor- literally a world championship show horse. Um, but he was like 17 hands or something like that, and she had to use a mounting block. Now horse would stand dead quiet until the moment she stepped up on that mounting block, and then he would just take one step away, and then she would get back down and relocate him and then go back up. And he'd take one step away, and then she'd get back down. So when we fast-forwarded through the pre-footage, it was just so hilarious. It looked, that's why we called it the Texas Two-Step. Um, again, that was an example of a horse that simply need to be, needed to be told that was not funny and stop it, and he did. Um, the one about posture, thank you for mentioning that one, Stephanie. That's a subject many of you know is near and dear to my heart. I think that as I know that as we age, we all start losing our posture and that a really important part of your health and well-being and longevity is to hang on to that posture as long as you can. And um, so it's an episode about that filmed with a friend and client of mine who is a retired uh, surgeon and her posture was affecting her riding and I called her out on it and at a clinic and she said yeah this is this is huge we need to tell more people about this so we made an episode of the tv show about it so i have in fact had a lot of comments about that episode and gotten letters in the mail from people that said it literally changed their lives and so thank you for reminding me of of the impact of that episode i've also heard from a few cast members who wrote in to share their their favorite episodes of Horse Master with Julie Goodnight. But as you can imagine, oddly enough, all of them picked their own episodes that they were in as their favorite. So Debbie writes, uh, Debbie was actually in the show a couple of different times and um, subsequently become a good friend. And she writes, well, of course, My favorites are the two episodes y'all shot at my ranch with our amazing special needs riders. We all had such a blast. Those, by the way, those two episodes were in the final season of Horse Master, season 11. Or maybe it's the episode that I was in where after suffering a stroke the year before, I was dealing with pain, some vision loss, and fear of getting back in the saddle. You, my sweet friend, gave me hope through your guidance and encouragement you show me how to overcome all those issues and ride with confidence. 
Oh, thank you, Debbie. That's really sweet. Um, you know, that episode really impacted so many people. In fact, because of that episode that Debbie was in about coming back to riding after suffering a stroke, I was contacted by the American Heart Association. I became a part of the fundraising efforts of that organization, became a part of the American Heart Association annual beach ride in Myrtle Beach. Um, So that one episode, Debbie, really impacted so many people and gave them so much hope. Um, And so, and part of the impact was your willingness to share what you went through uh, having had a stroke and what you were still going through at that time. So um, thank you. Dawn was a part of the crew behind the scenes of a couple of our horse master shoots in Florida, maybe three of them, uh, two or three. We shot in Florida quite a few times. Um, And Dawn says, it was fun and so memorable to be a part of the behind the scenes crew on a few of your Florida shoots. All the shows were super, as you can explain things like few others can. I think my favorite show to watch was the very polite young girl episode that was filmed at Plumwood Arabians in Florida. Looking forward to your podcast. Thank you, Dawn. And boy, that, that shoot at Plumwood Arabians, I uh, remember that well. And uh, we did have a, a sweet young girl on a nice little horse. I believe we changed the bit on that horse, if I remember right. And Mary Ann writes, <laughs> Mary Ann was in, uh, was also part of my crew um, behind the scenes a lot when we were shooting in Arizona. She brought us a lot of episodes in Arizona from people she knew. Um, and she was also in an episode called Square Dancing. And of course, Mary Ann says her favorite episode is the one with the prettiest horse in the world. (laughs) That would be her horse. Or the one where you taught the little girl how to get the correct diagonal. After 40 years, it finally happened. My light bulb moment. Uh, So the episode with the little girl who I taught to get the correct diagonal without looking was filmed in Martha's Vineyard. I believe that was season two, long time ago. She was riding a it was a cute little girl. I think she was only eight, and she was riding a precious little hunter pony. Feel the beat. Feel the beat was the name of that one, and uh, it was uh, interesting. That was our first episode filming with a young child. Um, that requires a lot of patience. And <laughs> this young lady, by the way, is is an adult now, and she went on to accomplish amazing uh, equestrian feats. So thank you, Mary Ann. Um, and Heather, also a cast member on Horse Master, said, I'm biased, but I loved Serenity Now. <laughs> that was a good episode on Ground Manners. And Lisa says, I'm completely biased. My favorite episode is about my own horse, Speed Control. We had a lot of great comments about Horse Master, and a couple of them actually had questions as well. And I heard this comment from a lot of you, and this comes from my buddy Suze in Southern California. She says her favorite episode was Wave Runner. That was the episode, by the way, I talked about earlier, filmed on the beach in Martha's Vineyard about getting a horse into the ocean. And Susie says, introducing the horse to waves was must-see TV. How do you reinstill confidence in a rider after an accident? How do we get them to try again? Well, you can't really make someone else feel confidence. They can only get there themselves. And um, I, I know what you're getting out there, Suze, is how do you support someone and how do you help someone build confidence? Or maybe you're even asking that question for yourself. Um, the way that we gain confidence is through having repeated, successful, non-stressful experiences. So you want to uh, encourage people to 
uh, on their own time frame and at their own pace, get back to riding. Uh, never want to push somebody to get back on the horse or come back to riding sooner than um, they're ready because um, you can't make somebody be ready for that. They have to make that decision themselves. And the more you pressure someone into it, the worse it gets. So take all the time you need to make the decision to come back to riding. And when you're ready, I will be there to support you. And we're going to make things as easy as possible. Ride, you know, do the smallest amount, uh, find, find your comfort zone and stay in it for a long time. If you're only comfortable handling horses from the ground or grooming, then stay with that until you feel like you're ready for a challenge. And then maybe you step up on a horse and get right back down. You're going to expand your comfort zone slowly and over time and don't let other people pressure you. If you want this to happen, you can make it happen. Um, there's lots of articles on my website about building confidence and also have a motivational audio recording on the subject. Um, so check that out at juliegoodnight.com. And also another comment and question is from Kim. And she says, the episode not for sale makes me laugh and cry at the same time. Diva was such a challenging horse for me before the show. She taught me so much about being a better partner for her. I've been able to carry that over to my younger Western dressage horse, Lexi. Training Lexi to get out of the Western pleasure crawl has been a real challenge and I would appreciate any advice or suggestions. So that episode, um, not for sale, was one we filmed, uh, I believe, in Georgia. And Kim was on the show with her horse at the time, who, when she arrived there before the show, she was so frustrated with this horse, she had decided to sell her. She'd actually put her on the market. And after the show, we got the mare moving, stepping out, moving forward. And um, after the show, she said, no way am I going to sell this mare. And so, uh, hence the name, not for sale. Um, that was a show about trying to, to take a, a Western pleasure horse and turn him into sort of the opposite of that, which is a dressage horse. So... Um, you know, those are such vastly different disciplines that we train for. So essentially the Western pleasure training was anti-training to dressage training where we want the horse to really move forward with good impulsion. And we've just trained all the impulsion out of the Western pleasure horse. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, some, some, advice or suggestions because you're you're repeating that scenario with your new horse um you know forward motion is the basis of all training and so you've got to get that horse moving forward whatever it takes and the first and most obvious thing to me always in a horse that needs more forward impulsion is quit pulling back on the reins and so people particularly um in any discipline of showing they get so stuck on um, messing with the horse's mouth, messing with their headset, trying to contain the motion, um, trying to contain a headset rather than letting the horse move forward. So you got to throw away the contact, let that horse move forward and find some balance um, on his own, moving freely forward. I would encourage you to ride out in wide open spaces. Um, if you can find a nice gentle incline with good footing, um, it's great to reestablish forward motion in a horse on a gentle incline uh, with good footing uh, where he really has to push himself uphill uh, unencumbered by you pulling back on the reins or sitting down on his back. You're going to, you know, ride up in a two-point position, give him, get your hands real far forward and let him go and let him be out in the open um, in, in places where it feels good to move forward. Um, I encourage people to gallop horses a lot. Um, let them, you you know, you've got to sort of do the opposite and of um, what's been done in, in, in order to reestablish forward movement. The faster you allow the horse to go, the more 
the more his natural patterns of movement are going to come out, the more we try to inhibit that motion or contain that motion through the bit and the other aids of the rider, um, the more that motion will tend to fall apart. So um, spend some time reestablishing forward movement and rebuilding the muscles, um, the top line and the hindquarters that um, the horse needs to have good impulsion. And um, hopefully you'll get where you want to be. Thank you everyone for a fun and interesting conversation about Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight, the final chapter. I appreciate you bearing with me as I reminisce about my TV series that I've been producing over the last 11 years. And I hope you enjoyed those stories and maybe got inspired to check it out. Uh, let me remind you that all of the Horsemaster content is streaming on demand at tv.juliegoodnight.com. All of that content is searchable by topic, so it's great horse training help right at your fingertips whenever you need it. Next month, we're going to be talking about setting your horse up for a successful riding season, some preparatory information for both you and your horse to make sure you can make the most of your summer riding season. To submit questions for our Q&A segment, be sure to message me on Facebook at Julie Goodnight Horsemanship. And until next time, enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening and don't forget to enjoy the ride. <laughs>